We'll be in First uh, John, the second chapter. Probably be moving around a little bit in the, the second chapter, but uh, so uh, what a beautiful day. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the propitiation, trading places for our sins. You know, what, what does that entail, you know? Uh, it, it makes me think of uh, if, uh, we were go- if we were to go to court in a criminal system and uh, God's the judge, there's the prosecutor, and we have an advocate with the father. And say it's our defense attorney who's, who's the advocate. It'd be nice if the defense attorney would go to prison for us. I don't know if anybody's ever been in trouble. But uh, oftentimes when you feel like your defense attorney's let you down, uh, you, you sure wish he, he'd be the one going to prison for you, you know, or jail, or suffer the consequences, or pay the fine. And, and that's what this says, is, uh, you know, we have an advocate with the father. If we believe in him, we're saved, we're a regenerated soul, we've been forgiven. And we have an advocate with him. And he tells us not to sin, but if we do sin, to confess our sins, and he'll surely forgive us. So he has forgiven me for the sins of my past, present, and future. And what, what takes place there is because we have this advocate with the Father, let's, let's recognize who he is. Because that's a big thing here in, in 1 John. Uh, we had the Gnostics trying to come in and, and possibly say that uh, Jesus was, was not a real physical person. It was kind of a spirit that would move around in between people. And, uh, and, and Jesus is God. Because we know that he was in the beginning with God. He was God. All things came into being through him. We know he was the word. And he come in and manifested in the, himself in the form of his creation. He came. He lived a sinless life. And he died on a cross for our sins. And, and if we believe these things, we'll, we'll be forgiven. We have to have an accurate view of who Jesus is. So now that we've been saved, our soul's been regenerated, we sin. Now, in Romans 7, Paul talks a lot about the struggle of the flesh uh, in our nature. That I do the things I don't want to do, and I'm not capable of doing the things I want to do, so it's no longer me doing it. And, uh, and it rolls right into... Romans 8, 1, where it tells us there's no condemnation, no sin. And we, and we know Paul, he, he's our apostle for the Gentiles. We, we know his soul was regenerated at that point. So we know the struggle. So now we have an advocate with the Father. So I, I would like to ask you a question. If, if, I was, if I paid the punishment, if I paid your fine for you, if I went and took your place in prison for you, if I went and was executed for you, and I told you that from this day forward, if you are guilty of another crime, that you must tell me, you must tell me, John, I did this. 
I'm your advocate, and then I'm going to go tell the judge who will continue to release you. Now, how would that make me feel if you were to tell my mom? You would say, Diane, I, I sinned. Can you, can you talk to your son John for me to talk to the judge? No, you wouldn't do that. That would be kind of, that would, you would be insulting me, matter of fact. What business do you got to do that? If I had fellow workers that worked for me in the law firm, and uh, you were to go to them and ask them, that would, I would take offense to that. I, I would take offense to the fact because I was the one that paid the price for your crime. I'm the one that suffered your punishment. I was the one that lived the sinless life. So what I'm trying to say here is when he says he's an advocate for the Father, he's not too busy. He's at the right hand of the Father. He rules over all right now. All dominion, everything is over him. Everything is in submission to him. And he's sitting around and he's waiting for us to talk to him, to have a relationship with him. He come, he spent, he manifested himself in the form of his creation. He spent this sinless life for us to directly to be able to speak to him and lay our problems out to him. He's a loving father, Abba, enduring. Our God came in the form of his creation for we could, it wasn't like this harsh judge sitting on a throne that we don't know. We was able to touch him. We seen him. We felt him. We've seen his miracles. He sits today at the right hand of God. And he says, if you, beloved, if you sin, if you do not do my commandments, come to me, pray to me, and surely I'll forgive you. So, that's, that's the Jesus of the Bible. All right? Now, we run into a, we, uh, there's another issue that I, I take with this because it's, does Scripture contradict itself? No, it does not. Scripture never contradicts itself. It tells us here, in the, uh, starting in verse 15, it, the heading for this is, do not love the world. Okay? Well, that's, that's, and it says, do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well now, God's telling us not to love the world. Well, that seems like it's kind of conductory because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It tells us in Romans 1 that it's evident to all of creation. It's, it's been written in each man's heart because of the creation that the creator had made. It's evident to us. So for him to say not to love the world, that would be a, a, a contradictory if you're thinking of it that way. So we need to clear that up. We, we need to, to understand what he's talking about. 
when he says the world, do not love the world. It's the cosmos. It's the world order. It's the structure of things. It's the universe, how things are run. Run in the decisions being made, the ideologies, the thought processes. But then there's another word, too, that we're going to struggle with, because if he tells us not to love the world, and that seems to be contradictory, and then the next thing he tells us, if we hate our brother, then the, the, the love of God is not in us. But then we find out that God hated Esau and loved Jacob, and God hates seven, six things, and seven are an abomination. I don't know how the seventh one got in there, but I'll, I'll figure that out later. But the point is, we're going to go over some of this. But this word hate, okay, I, I, I think there's different, when I say the word hate, well, let me ask you, beloved, if something outside the will of God comes into your family, do you hate that? If somebody misleads your children to opposing view of God, do you hate that? If somebody were to do something to your wife or your husband outside of God's will, wouldn't you hate that? Well, sure you would. Absolutely we would. So that hate, now, the people doing this are outside of God's will. Well, that's, that's my mission field. So he tells us, well, we know the two commandments. The first one is to love God with your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is to love others as you love yourself, or which... I like to say better with the New Testament is to love other as Jesus has loved you. Okay? That's our mission field. These people that are with these mixed up ideologies and thought processes that are bringing pain into our lives, in your family's lives, that's our mission field. He tells us to love them. So that kind of seems like a contradictory there. So let's try to understand this. Let's, let's just make this crystal clear. I hate that, anything that opposes God's will. I hate it. Now, my hate is understanding what, what do I want the outcome from my hate. My hate is not an anger where I want to see ill will to you. My hate is to see you to come into God's fold, to come into God's will. To hear the truth of God's word. For you to accept the truth of God's word. That you can be adopted into the family that I've been adopted into and you've been adopted into. That you can be adopted into our family. See, in God's eyes, there's only two groups of people. He don't need the whole alphabet and add one in there for you. He, he makes it real simple for us. There's the saved and the unsaved. And, and there was a time when the Jewish people were his chosen people. Then there was the Gentiles. But they, they are now one as the saved if they believe. If they were called and they believed. And then there's the unsaved. That, it's just that simple. So, my feelings of hate is that you're opposing God's will, and I, and I hate that, my definition of that. It's no ill will to you. I want to see you to come in to be adopted into the family, for you to come to know God, for a regeneration. If you are 
have been regenerated in your mourning and grieving the spirit and you're acting outside of God's will and you have conflict and pain in your heart, I want to see you to come back into the fold. The value of the one lost sheep is so valuable that we know the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. Because the one is so valuable, his purpose for doing God's kingdom work is so valuable that your ministry and your work that can be done is so valuable to us that we don't want to lose you. Now, we hate that you're outside of God's will right now. Now, I think it's hard for me to speak for other people, but the feelings I get that when I speak the truth, but Jesus says, they don't hate you, beloved. They hate me. They've hated me since the beginning. So, but their hatred, when they use the word, when they hate it, I think sometimes I get a feeling like, They'd wish I'd like get brain cancer and die or get hit by a car or or just something horrific happened to me. Maybe burned up in a fire. It's like it's in their eyes, you know, the anger in them, you know. And they they seem to tell you how happy and joyful they are, but they seem to have an awful lot of anger in them. Now, it's not for me to say how they're feeling or what they're thinking, but that's the sense that I feel. I'm just trying to clear up if I use the word hate, or if God uses the word hate, maybe there's, we can use it a different way. And here's another one, too. We, we, we need to clear this up right now, too. Uh, I know God. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? You know, let's talk about when someone says, yeah, I, I, know, I know Jesus, I know God. It's, it's interesting because in my life, I think before I truly knew God, know God, I prayed to the same God. It was the same belief in the same God, who he was, but then I come to know him. So let's, let's use a metaphor for that. Let's use it that Joseph met Mary, so he, he knew her, he was promised to her, But he didn't really know her until after Jesus was born and they consummated the wedding. Then he knew her. Now he 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 knows her. These things were written for you would come to know. So if you're if you're going to come to know God and come to know Jesus, that must mean you did not know him before. Right? I mean, that's just... So you didn't know him before. Now you come to know him and you say, now I know him. Well, in that relationship with Joseph and Mary, before he knew her, he could say, well, I I know her. But it wasn't until after that he consummated the relationship that that he, he, he come to know her. Now, after the relationship was consummated... He couldn't not know her. It's happened. You can't go back and forth like I'm I'm coming in and out of my salvation or 
you know, I, I knew and then I don't know. Or what about this one? She's a little bit pregnant. No, no, she's either pregnant or she's not pregnant. It's not like she's going to come in and out of it. You come to know. When you come to know God, you don't go back. And uh, I, I think that's very under. I think that's very under important for us to understand. Uh, I think during the Civil War that both sides both prayed to the same God. You know, I prayed to the same. I've, I've prayed to the same God my whole life, but I, I feel like there was a point in my life where I didn't really know God. I didn't know God until until that time when I asked myself the most important question, is he real or is he not real? And I don't know when the miracle happened. And he was my advocate. I was forgiven for my sins. And he says, John, the things that you've done wrong, you are forgiven for. They're thrown as far as the east from the west. They're forgotten. I stood in your place. I took the punishment for your crime. You do not have to walk around with this guilt and shame in you no more. What you must do, you must walk in the Spirit and fulfill my command. Do my law. Live in my righteousness. Don't mourn or grieve the Spirit. But John, when you stumble and you fall, and beloved, when you stumble and you fall, you have an advocate with the Father to confess your sins. Now, I go into Romans 9 in this, this hate, where it says, he talks about he hated Esau and he loved Jacob. Jacob became, his bloodline became Israel, the race, the Jewish race. Esau became Edom and was the Edomites. And it was kind of an interesting fact that the Edomites, I have my little notes here that, uh, and I knew I was going to do the paper shuffle tonight, but I'm really trying not to. So, the Edomites. The nature of the Edomites, which come from Esau, the bloodline, and this is just a brief description uh, out there. Religion is largely unknown before their conversion to Judaism by the group. Its evidence suggests that the national god of Edom was Quaz, Cush, Kos, uh, Baal. It was just mixed up, different beliefs outside of God. The Levantine Semites are, are Arabs. They seem to have worshipped such gods as Eel, Baal, Uz. The oldest biblical traditions places Yahweh as the deity of the southern Edom and may have originated in Edom. Before being adopt, adopted in Israel and Judah, I think they tried to convert into, into Judah. There is a Jewish tradition stemming from the Talmud that the descendants of Esau would eventually become the Romans and to a larger extent Europeans. So what's the point am I trying to make here? Well, and, and I don't know. I just read something off of Wikipedia that they're saying that's a possibility that the bloodline of Esau could have been the... Actually, that could mean that Pontius Pilate could have been 
the one who sentenced Jesus to death. It could have been from that bloodline, became the Romans. I don't know that as fact, but I, I try to say, well, how does, how does God, why would God say something like that? Just like I was talking about how I hate stuff outside of God's, God's law. Well, we have to understand something else. That I used to say, well, God transcends time. And I really started thinking about that. I thought, well, God knows no time. That's putting God in a box because that's a human terminology for, for me to try to explain to you something about God that's an a, a infinite, he's infinite, I'm finite, and you got a finite creature trying to explain to you about how God understands time. And so if I say he transcends time, I don't, I don't think that's accurate because he knows no time. He's in the moment. The past, present, and the future are all right there in his grasp. He sees it. So when, when Esau and Jacob were in the mother's womb and, and neither one of them had done nothing and he made this statement, I think maybe he has a little more knowledge than what I have. And, and I know myself and, and you too, beloved, that we all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And Corinthians says, and these sins, these list of sins were such for some of you that we know from Romans 10 and John 3.16 that if we believe, who accurately believe who Jesus Christ is, profess him to be our Savior, that we can be regenerated and saved from that and be brought into the adoption of the family of God. Until that point in time, we were outside of that. So, if that, if that tries to help you a little bit with understanding about this, this, this hate thing, because I, I know we hate hearing the word hate. You'd hate to hear that God hates things. Well, God does hate. God hates, what does God hate? Oh, he hates... Uh, Haughty eyes and a proud heart. But let me go to Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 16 and 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. I don't know how he can hate six things and seven are an abomination, but anyhow, I, I'm still going to work on that. Here's, here's the list. Haughty eyes. So, okay, haughty eyes would be, I'm a saved Christian, and you're a homosexual, and I look down on you. That would be haughty. God hates that. that. That I think that I'm so much better than you as a sinner. God hates that. Okay? When I think because I'm saved, and I start putting people in categories other than saved, unsaved. When I start looking at people and start referring to them as them people, or them people, them other people. Uh, you know, because I'm up here. So we got the, the publican and the, and the tax collector. And the publican says, God, thank you I'm not like that tax collector. See? Like he's that, like he's doing something. He has haughty eyes, he's looking down. That's, that's, that's his mission field. 
So let's, let's make that very clear, what, what God hates there. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Okay. A lying tongue. Here's what God hates. If I tell you that, okay, so we want to talk about the homosexual, right? That's what we just talked about. If I look down on him, God hates that. So if, if I say to you, God loves you just the way you are, you're, you're fine. I'm lying to you. You're outside of God's will. The same way if you're in a relationship and you're not married, you're outside of God's will. Anything defined that is not between a one man and one woman in marriage is outside of God's will. I am lying to you. And, and, and how many people stand in the pulpit and lie to the people out there? God hates that. Okay? And hands that shed innocent blood. Now let me ask you, what's more innocent than the blood of a fetus? What's more innocent than, than, than a baby who God has knitted in the mother's womb, a creation of God that knows nothing, completely innocent, and you shed that blood? Whether it be the mother who's declaring her, her bodily rights, are the doctor that performs it, that swore an oath for life, and he's taking life. He's shedding innocent blood. I, I, I don't think it gets any more clearer than that. God hates that, it says here. And the, hand, the hands that shed innocent blood. What about a heart that deceives wicked plans? That we plan on doing something wicked. Maybe we can mutate a cell in a lab to cause a virus to kill people. But we'll do it in the name of science. Uh, create plans to bring pain into people's life. God hates that. God hates that. Devise wicked plans. If you have some ill will or to make sordid gains by lying to advance yourself. If I get elected into office and, and the next thing you know I make $50,000 a year and, and five years later I'm worth $20 million, you know, because I got the inside line on some stocks, you know, and I devised this plan with different people. Uh, that I, I, I plan that. It was divisive, wicked plans. I planned to do something outside of God's will, outside of his commandments. God hates that. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among the brothers. A false witness who breathes out lies. To say I'm a Christian church, I'm a pastor of it, and to 
give false witness. To tell you that Jesus is any other thing than, than what I've already described. Jesus is not Michael the archangel. He's not Satan's half-brother. He was not born. He was not, he, he was not a created being. He was with God in the beginning. God is not a created being. These are apostate religions. These are religions that people are going to say, well, I know God. I know God. He's Jesus. We believe in Jesus. You know, we, we, we knock on doors, we tell you all about Jesus, and we, then we tell you that Jesus was Michael the archangel. See, these are the people that are going to go and they're going to knock on the door. They're going to get the, the, the door. Wide is the road to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to the gate, and few get through the gate. So you're, you're believing in, in Jesus. You got the name right. You got the name out front of your church. You believe in Jesus. Pray to him, but you get to that gate. And few make it through. Few go on that road. Few get to the gate. Few make it through the gate. And Jesus is on the other side of that gate. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Oh, but we did this, we did that. We, we, I did this, I did that. You notice how they always say, I, like they did something? You did absolutely nothing. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's bearing false witness to in your brother. When your brother's an heir, and you tell him it's okay, instead of tell him the truth, that's giving false witness. That's why it's, it's hard to, in a sense, for people to receive a message like I'm trying to share. It's very hard to receive that. I, I understand that. That's why I wanted to be clear. You are my mission field. I love you. There is so much value to you. You are the one lost sheep. We want to bring you into the fold. No, I don't care what you've done. You, you could have had a, a, an abortion. You could be involved in any relationship outside of marriage. Uh, you could uh, be in this uh, gender affirming where you have a doctor that sheds uh, innocent blood that, uh, in a youth that uh, they make them sterile. Uh, there, there's uh, forgiveness for you. But you have to understand there is no forgiveness to you until you recognize that you're outside of God's will for your life. You're outside of it. You have to recognize that first. That's the first step. Then second, you have to believe. You have to believe who Jesus is. And because of your weakness because of your fallen nature, because of your brokenness, he's going to help you. You just, you just recognize it. You cry out to the Lord. You say, Lord, I, I don't know how I can stop living outside of your will. I, I'm incapable of doing that. I need your help. I believe you. Give me the Holy Spirit and help me. Help me to refrain from this. I can't do it alone. He will send you the the Holy Spirit. He will send you a helper. That helper 
is the same helper that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same helper that he will send to you. So that was my introduction. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. I, I think I made some points that are pretty clear because now, now we need to start reading the scripture and, and internalizing what, what, what does this say? Oh, I left one thing out. I'm sorry. I'm still on my introduction part. Okay. We have in here where it says children, young men, and fathers. Okay. God's not writing to little five-year-old children like they can understand this and go and expound on the word. What this means is, let's go back to the two groups. There's only two groups, the saved and the unsaved. When the soul gets regenerated, you, we will look at you as children. You have, you, you've been called by, you've been drawn by the Spirit, you've been convicted by the Word, you haven't had a real upbringing in the church. Maybe it was like the church of Galatia. They, they never knew uh, God's Word. They weren't the Jewish people. They were outside God's, God's Word. They were living sin. They were living outside of God's Word, and they had an inner pain in them and an emptiness. And Paul went and preached and preached the gospel, and they believed. They believed in this man, Jesus, who was a miracle worker that manifested himself, that was seen, that they touched, that they felt, that they seen. He was a real person. And they believed Paul, and they believed, and their soul was converted, and they're regenerated. They know nothing about Scripture. They don't know, how to, they don't know what the, the Bible is. They don't know what God, the Bible wasn't even written. They're children. They have, they have just enough knowledge that they believed. And there's a conversion. Then there's the young men. Now the young men, now they have the faith, hope, and assurance. They're knowing who God is, who Jesus is. Uh, they're, they're, they're able to fight off the wills of the devil. The, what are the wills of the devil, John? Well, we don't fight against Casper. He's not floating around out there. The wills of the devil are ideologies and thought processes of the cosmos, the world. When God talks about don't love the world, he's not saying don't love the physical world like my gardening and the things in it and my mission field. He, he's not telling me not to, to love that. He's telling me, the definition of cosmos would be the working, the working of the, the world, the universe, the order, the harmony of the universe, the creation. Acts, God is the creator of the universe. And it's the ideologies and thought processes that put things in. It's the governments. It's false religions. It's things that are in control that are running it. That people that, everything that I just read to you that God hates, everything I read to you that God hates, it, it all comes down to the cosmos, the world order, the universe, how our governments, how different apostate religion, religions operate, bearing false witness. Uh, that's that's the wills of the devil. You only can defeat them by knowing God's word. 
You must be in God's word. You no longer, once you become a children, a child, you're the children first, you've saved, you come to the saving knowledge of who you are, and now it's time to open up his word. You begin to read his word, understand his word, because that's the truth, and you became a young man, and you can fight off the wills of the devil. Then fathers, fathers as you've advanced, I can bring you into scripture and show you that there is 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not in the flesh but in the spirit. Assurance of your salvation. At the end of the chapter of Romans 8, nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. 1 John 4.4, 4, the same power that I have in me is greater than the power of all the world. The first three chapters of Ephesians that just expounds on everything that God has done for us as believers, beloved, before the foundation of the world, he's declared you to be able to stand before him righteous and holy, before an all-holy God. And you were born a sinner for three chapters. It goes on and tells you everything that God does for you. You must know where this is at. When there's an unbeliever, we say, you need to read the book of John. You need to get right in the book of John. Well, why the book of John? Because your name's John? No. Because these things were written in this book for those who read it, those who hear it, can come to believe, and they can spend all eternity with God. That is a father in the world directing, directing the mission field into the word. No prosperity gospel. Showing you the word, the word to fight the wills of the devil. Now we can start reading. We can start reading the second chapter of John, but I think we're running out of time. So this is my introduction, I, and I think next time, next message, we're going to read this. So, because there's, so there's just so much here to un, unpack. Uh, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's what we're going to do. Either, either that or we're going to go for at least another hour. Uh, and so I, I just want to say this then tonight. Uh, we have an advocate with the Father. He's a propitiation. That word propitiation, he traded places with his chosen people. He trades places with you. He, he, he takes the punishment for our crime. First off, we need to understand that. We need to understand the word hate and the condensation of it, when we say the word hate, that when God says hate, it's different than the ones, the people who hate God. Uh, he says, they, they, beloved, they don't hate you, they hate me. And they hate with such a hatred, hatred they would take an innocent man and nail him to a cross and cheer over it. That's how deep their hatred is. Your inner soul, your, your human nature, your depravity in you hates to hear the word of God. It's in you naturally. That's not even the wills of the devil. It opposes God's will. Because remember, you come to believe, and before you could believe, you didn't know how to believe, you didn't know what to believe, but you come to believe. And you were once one of them. 
And such were some of you. You were innocent. You were in a lifestyle outside of God. You weren't born in to this family. You were a sinner. When you heard the law before you were regenerated, you heard the law, and I'll tell you exactly what the law did. It made you excited. It made you want to do it even more. It got you excited inside that sin that you were doing. You would do it even more. And then it created a pain in your life, see? And this pain, uh, it was okay when it was hurting other people, see? Because you were still having fun. You were enjoying that, that, you know? You were opposing God's will. You were excited by that sin. And then eventually, it, it probably caused you pain. And then when it started to cause you pain, you started thinking, hey, hold on here. I, I, I got to do something about this. Maybe you started looking outside yourself for the first time. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit convicting you. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit calling you, drawing you to God. You heard a message. You heard God's word. You were drawn to it. You cried out to the Lord, and he sent a spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit that entered in you and gave you the ability to refrain from the sins you once were so excited about. Okay? 1 John is the book, gives us the assurance of salvation. It clearly is going to state to us, we are not perfect. Even after our salvation, we are not perfect. The sins you, the sins you once did in your life that you enjoyed doing will become, uh, will bother you. You'll be troubled by it. You will begin to think about things have a lust or a hatred, the, you know, that you really want to cause harm to somebody or blow up with anger, and it's going to bother you inside. And you're going to have an advocate with the Father because we're not perfect. So the assurance of our salvation, we're not perfect, and that God loves us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, I just thank you for this time, Father. I thank you that, uh, that I feel that I'm maturing in your word. I have the, the assurance of the salvation, of the confidence in my life that, that's a real saving faith and a hope that can lead and guide me in my life, Father, today that, that fights and battles against the flesh. And I just, can, just continually give things to you, God, and you, you just take that away from us. I pray that our listeners can hear that. I pray that our listeners can know that they're not losing their salvation. They need to continue to give it to God. If they're outside of God's will, if these words strike a truth in their heart and being convicted, that they holler out to you, Father, that they cry out to you and they say, Jesus, I believe Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that was with God in the beginning the Jesus that manifested himself in this creation, the Jesus that lived a sinless life, the Jesus that Pontius Pilate murdered, they put on that cross and crucified, who's resurrected, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is our advocate. Cry out to him today. He can change your world. May, may, may mercy and justice and follow you all the days of your life. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, even in a troubled, fallen world with persecution. That we look, we look to God, we look to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.